Let's open a Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. I'm going to begin reading at verse 16. We pick pick up where we left off last week. Jesus, having been wrongly convicted, is sent to his death, condemned to execution in the place of sinners like me. So listen as I read. This is the Word of God, John chapter 19. I'm beginning right in the middle of verse 16. John 19, 16. So so the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that, that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. 
Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Let me pray that as we listen to God's word, he would apply it to our lives. As we hear the word preached and proclaimed, God would transform our hearts. Let me pray. Father, we are thankful for your word, and yet with heavy hearts we listen to this section of Scripture. We see that our sin was so great it required the death of Jesus, our Savior. And so, Father in heaven, I ask that you would provide us comfort and hope, that you would give us a confidence in you, that as we face the the difficulties in this life, we would know that you are the one who hears us, You are the one who comforts us. You are the God in absolute control. You've proven what love looks like because you sent Jesus to be our rescuer, our savior. And so we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask that that he would be glorified and that you would transform our hearts. Father, we come in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvin and Hobbes is a classic American comic strip. Calvin's a precocious six-year-old and he's always on the precipice of an adventure. Now Hobbes, his stuffed animal tiger, serves as the voice of reason on their adventures. In one of the brief comic strips, Calvin balances a board across a log and on the other side he places a giant snowball. And then he, he leaps, but with a scream he realizes the giant snowball is coming right at him. And in this simple three-strip little comic, in the final frame, you see Calvin splayed across the ground with the, the snowball having crushed him. But he says, I meant to do that. Having hit himself with a giant snowball, one he was clearly intending to launch at someone else, having crushed himself, he says, I meant to do that. To which the wise tiger says, well, then it worked very well. Now, the comic strip works because we've all been there. We can find humor in those situations where things went completely wrong, and yet we tried to save face by saying, I meant to do that. And maybe that's what you feel like the answer that we've been giving as a church, the Christian answer in the response of such horror and tragedy. It feels like a half-hearted answer where God is, is looking at the world and, and, and it's as if he says, things have gotten so, so out of control, but, but, I, but I meant to do that. But it feels half-hearted, maybe. Maybe that's how you hear it. An answer that doesn't quite satisfy that even a stuffed tiger would discount. And yet, as we turn in the gospel... Here in John chapter 19, we see with clarity God's absolute control. In the midst of horror and suffering and sadness, we see the hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ suffering for us. God's plan is coming out exactly as he intended. The brokenness around us a result of our sin and yet God's direct and immediate and radical intervention in the ministry of Jesus, our Savior. We, we see the suffering of Jesus right there at the beginning of, of what I read, there in the middle of verse 16 of John chapter 19. The soldiers took charge of Jesus. They have already beaten him, flogged him. He is suffering and in pain. They, they place a, a beam of the cross across him and force him to carry it 
to his own execution. They take him to a place called the skull, perhaps because of the the dead bodies that have littered the ground, or maybe a picture there in the, the rock face itself, reminding people of this place of death. But it's a very public execution. There where everyone would see so that they would understand the horror and the tragedy of what takes place. We're told there in verse 18 of, we're still on John 19, verse 18, that that there they crucified him. And with him, two others. One on each side and Jesus in the middle. A picture of Jesus among criminals. Jesus being counted among the transgressors. That's the words that that, that we find in Isaiah chapter 53. We already heard it in our corporate confession of sin, our assurance of pardon. But that chapter describing the suffering of Jesus says that Jesus poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for those who had transgressed. Jesus is numbered among those who are guilty but it's my guilt that took Christ to the cross. It's my sin that placed him there, for he is the perfect son of God. Yet he suffered for me. And then there's this this encounter that he has with, with, with his own mother. Having had all taken from him, we, we have these words that begin in verse 25. That near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. There with three other women, the other Gospels tell us that the the crowd of women who followed Christ was even greater than that. These disciples brave enough to come and to mourn the loss of their teacher, their leader, and, and Jesus in sadness shows us his love. I mean, the suffering of Jesus here is real. It's tangible. It's relational. And, and, and for me, this week, this is, it, it's, it's rare that you find me in tears in my study. Maybe not so rare to find me in tears in the pulpit. But this week, as I've sat at my own mother's bedside, nearing her final days, her final hours, I find in these words, words of great gospel comfort, that Jesus on the cross cared for his own mother providing for her immediate needs by sending her into the care of of one of the disciples, the beloved disciple, John, who wrote this gospel for us, the eyewitness, the one who stood there and watched this happen. And as one commentator, J.C. Ryla, a great Anglican preacher, a, a gospel preacher of a previous generation, a previous century, he says that it's here on the cross that Jesus, while his relationship as a son is ending in his death, his relationship with his mother is transformed. He becomes her Savior. And so it's here in the cross that the suffering of Christ becomes meaningful for me, the Savior who is willing to die, a real and tragic death. We see it even in the the cry of Jesus there on the cross, crying out that he is thirsty, given given a wine vinegar, a, a cheap substitute. The physical longings, the physical sufferings of Jesus, the Savior. And then upon his death, his body taken from the cross. The physical body of Jesus removed and placed in a tomb by two prominent disciples, but but men who have previously been unwilling to publicly announce their faith in Jesus. Joseph, who comes in secret, in fear of the, the religious leaders. Nicodemus, who had previously come at night so that others wouldn't see him 
in Jesus' presence. And yet they take the body of Jesus. They bring a great amount of, of spices to prepare him according to the, the, the burial customs of the day. The, the amount is, is overwhelming. It's, a, it's, a, it's fit for a royal burial. Because that's who is dead. The king. Dead. But it's here in the suffering of Christ that you and I find hope. And this didn't happen by accident. Did you hear repeatedly through this passage? Again and again, John reminds us, this happened because God planned it. This happened exactly according to God's declaration. It, it, repeatedly, he says in this passage, even finding the smallest of details, being reminded and inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit, that this was the very purpose of God. He says again and again that this happened according to the Scripture. This happened so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. This is the promise of God coming to fulfillment here. Look with me at, at, at even the, the, the reminder of what we saw last week, that Jesus is killed as the king of the Jews. It was a mocking title last week, and, and we see in, in the, the notice that's placed above the cross of Jesus, again, Pilate, getting revenge on the religious leaders who have backed him into this corner. Pilate now finally, with a backbone in verse 22, says, what I have written, I have written. They don't want it written that he is the king of the Jews. They want it to say he claimed to be, but he's not really. But don't you see the, the, the gospel truth that is announced? Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This is the true announcement of hope for us. The plan of God brought to its, its peak here in the death of the Savior. And, and notice that it's written in multiple languages. It's written in the language spoken right there locally, Aramaic. It's written in, in Latin so that the, the soldiers who have come from Rome would understand it. It's written in Greek, the language of commerce, so that everyone who walks past will see this gospel announcement that Jesus is the king of the Jews. The promise of God brought to its fulfillment here on the cross. The scriptures are fulfilled. Look at verse 24, where the soldiers who have a right to take the last possessions by law. They have the right to take what belonged to Jesus, the garments that had been on him. But they don't want to tear the last piece, the piece that would have been worn closest to the body of Jesus. So it's, it's worth more to them. And so, but they can't decide who will get it, so they cast lots. They, they gamble it away. But you see in verse 24 that that was exactly what God had said would happen. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. It's a quotation from Psalm 22, a psalm in the Old Testament, which, which begins with that cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words Jesus himself speaks from the cross, announced to us in the other gospels. But, but, but John picks up on this detail that his garments being, being divided among the soldiers, this was exactly what God said would happen to his servant who would come to die for his people. But again and again, we, we see the, 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 the fulfillment of prophecy. In verse 28, we read that Jesus himself understood that prophecy had to be fulfilled. And so Jesus undertakes an action to make sure everything is completed. All has been done according to the plan of God. Look at verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Now, John doesn't give us the exact quotation, 
And so maybe he's thinking of both. Psalm 69, a psalm which, which speaks that they gave me vinegar for my thirst. Speaking of the one who God would send to suffer. Or again, turning back to Psalm 22, where the psalmist decries that the one who suffers would, would, would be so thirsty that his tongue would stick to the roof of his mouth. See, this was the plan of God. It was not an accident. When God says, I meant for that to happen, he had written it down in advance. God is not out of control. God is absolutely, sovereignly, powerfully, lovingly in control. Even in the death of his son. Even in the the thoughts of Jesus on the cross. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus thinking of the promises that needed to to be brought to fulfillment, speaks those words, I am thirsty, so that they will offer him the vinegar that had been announced in advance. But just so that we don't miss this point, John echoes it again. He comes back to it one more time if we jump ahead to verse 36. That that the, 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 the legs of Jesus were not broken. The bones were not broken because he had already died. Now the legs would be broken to speed up the process of death so that the the one on the cross wouldn't be able to to push himself up and and get a full breath of air. But Jesus had already given up his life. And so his legs are not broken. Instead, a a spear is, is placed into his side. Water and blood flows out. Again, a reminder of the fulfillment of God's promises. In Psalm 34, we read that that. God protects all of his bones. Not one will be broken. Or maybe John is thinking of the language of the Passover, in which the Passover lamb would not have any of its bones broken as its blood was shed. But that picture of the side of Jesus being pierced, it comes right from Zechariah, and John quotes it for us. In verse 37, they will look on the one they have pierced. See, this is not an afterthought, the death of Jesus. This is the very purpose of Jesus' mission. This is the very plan of God. And it means that we as Christians have true, ultimate gospel hope to announce in the midst of sorrow and suffering. Yes, we need to be careful that we have to give people space to lament and mourn. We need to be careful not to to jump to to cheap or, or easy solutions to try and explain exactly what is happening in this moment. But as a church... As a believer, as a follower of Christ, as one who reads the words of John's gospel, we can point to the ultimate hope that we have. That Jesus, the Son of God, was sent according to the plan of God, suffered in my place, and died for my sins. And so this demands a response. And John tells us exactly, exactly how we should respond. He's been building it all the way through his gospel. If you take time this week to sit and read through the gospel of John, you'll see how it builds to this crescendo here. Then we are meant to recognize what has taken place on the cross. We are meant to change our lives. We are meant to put our trust in Jesus, to believe in him. John says it explicitly. He says that that we have to put our faith in Jesus. Look at verse 35. He speaks of his own testimony. The man who saw it has given testimony. His testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies. Why? Verse 35, he testifies so that you also may believe. 
that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that you may have hope in him. Jesus himself had announced these words earlier in his own gospel. In John chapter 3, we, Jesus says that he would be lifted up onto the cross to die. He said, just as Moses lifted the snake in the desert, this is John three fourteen. So the Son of Man, speaking of himself, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And then you already know these words if you've been to church before. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus announcing it beforehand in in chapter 3 now brings it to its fulfillment here in chapter 19. But the call to believe is the same. You believe so that you may receive the gift of eternal life. You believe so that you can understand the hope of the gospel, that you have an ultimate hope that lasts beyond even death itself. And so John tells us that's what we should do when we, when we read the words of chapter 19. This was all written, this testimony for us, so that we would believe in Jesus. And so confess your sins today. Acknowledge that it is your guilt that was placed upon Jesus. Put your trust in God. Find forgiveness in Jesus, for he is the one who purposefully, willingly gave himself for you. We have back in verse 30, the very familiar words here in John 19, words which bring us to the very end. It is finished. But more than just announcing that we've, we've reached the conclusion of Jesus' life, the language is, is filled with, with the idea of forgiveness. Though your debt was great and could not be paid by you, it has been paid in full by Jesus. The work of God is now completed on the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, died for you. It is finished. It is done. Your hope is found in Jesus Christ who gave himself on the cross. And notice the the language then that John describes, the death of Jesus. He says, with that, verse 30, with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now that little detail, he bowed his head, that's the language of an eyewitness. It's not theologically significant, but John stood there at the foot of the cross and watched his Savior give up his own life. And notice the theological language then that John gives us. He gave up his spirit. This was a purposeful act on the part of Jesus, the true son of man who died in the place of sinners, the son of God with power and authority to give up his own life. He'd actually announced that's what he was going to do. He had told his followers back in John chapter 10 that he was the good shepherd. We sang those words together this morning, that he is the shepherd who leads us, who guides us. He says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in John chapter 10 verses 17 and 18, we read that Jesus is the one, he says, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This is the command that I received from the Father. 
See, Jesus was telling us in advance that he was coming to give his life. It wasn't merely taken from him. That's what it looks like from the outside, a world without, in chaos, without any control, without any picture of God's involvement. But don't you see here, this was the plan of God. Jesus willingly gave up his life. He announces, having fulfilled the promises of God, it is finished. Your debt has been paid in full. It is accomplished. It is done. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The purposeful act of God, a God in complete control on the cross. Jesus, the son who gave his life for us. Earlier this week, my sister sent me a new song by the musician J.J. Heller. J.J. wrote it during this quarantine with, uh, with her husband and with a friend. And she says, she says, we hope that this song brings you comfort when you feel unsettled. It begins as a lament. Everything around me seems uncertain. My weary heart can't take much more surprise. And then in a plea to God, she sings, I need to tell you that I'm scared. I feel completely unprepared and nothing's what it was two weeks ago. Now those two weeks capture two weeks for my family of sorrow and sadness. The picture of my mother's rapid decline with Alzheimer's. Nothing's what it was two weeks ago. But then the song offers hope. Hope that rests not on an explanation of every detail of what's happening in your life, life right now, but hope that rests upon the promises of God that God is in absolute control. A hope that is found in the love of God. She says, nothing's what it was two weeks ago, but you already know. You already know everything I'm scared of, everything I hope. You hold my tomorrow and all tomorrow holds. You already know. This is an announcement of a God who loves us, who cares for us. The God who fulfilled the promises of scripture in the death of his own son. When we come to God, he is there to hear us. When we come to God, he is there on our side. We have an ultimate, a lasting, an eternal hope. It's a gift given to us, the gift of eternal life. Will you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? God already knows your needs. God already knows your pain, and so come to him in prayer, in hope, in gospel obedience. Put your trust in him. Jesus, the Son of God, took your sin upon himself. He suffered in your place. Everything around me seems uncertain. Nothing's what it was two weeks ago. But God, you already know. Jesus, our Savior, gave his life for you. Put your trust in him. Let me pray that God would apply his gospel hope 
to our hearts. Father in heaven, we come, some of us heartbroken at the pain and the sorrow of life, all of us needing your hope for what will come in the days and the weeks ahead. As grief threatens to crash down upon us, Lord, I pray that in the death of Jesus, our Savior, we will find our true and lasting hope. In the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we would find forgiveness of our sins. In the love of Jesus, our Savior, we would find eternal life. So, Father in heaven, we ask that you would give us gospel hope. Lord, we pray that you would comfort us in the power of your word. Lord, let us be bold in announcing this gospel this week. Let us be fervent in turning to you in prayer. Let us be, be, be diligent in reading your word that we might find gospel, a, a, a gospel joy to share with our family, with our friends. Lord, bring comfort to those who are left alone. Bring peace to those whose lives are in such turmoil. Lord, let us find our comfort in Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King. We pray in his name. Amen.